Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Money doesn't provide fulfillment. In our series, Invincible, we're talking about conquering the 10 challenges, the 10 mountains that separate us from the life God wants us to experience. And today we're going to talk about conquering the mountain of materialism. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, money can be a good and powerful tool. In fact, some of the Bible's greatest heroes were wealthy. But when we turn money into an idol, that's when the real problems begin. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress warns against the dangers of materialism and teaches us how to be content with what we have. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. It's the middle of May, and there's still time to request the best-selling book I wrote to coincide with our teaching series, Invincible. In 10 chapters, I've identified 10 barriers, obstacles, and God's plan for conquering those mountains that may be separating you from the blessed life. Together, I want to show you God's plan to conquer the mountain of fear, worry, lust, and loneliness. Not only to conquer those barriers, but to move to the other side of the mountain as well. I'll be sure to send you a copy today of Invincible when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, when you respond today, we'll also send you a set of encouragement cards. Each card identifies one of the mountains that may have become an obstacle in your life. And each card offers a specific promise from the Bible on how to conquer that mountain. Each one will inspire you to depend on God's promises to become invincible. We'll say more about my book, Invincible, and other resources just after my message concludes. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. From the Invincible teaching series, I titled today's message, Moving from Materialism to Contentment. Uh, There are many things money cannot protect you against. And there's a great illustration of that in Luke chapter 12. Turn over there for a moment. In verse 15, Jesus sounded this warning. He said, be on your guard against materialism. Literally, be on your guard against greed, every form of it, for not even when a man has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You are more than what you own, Jesus says. Don't define your life by what you own. Why? Well, he told a parable. He said, and Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And the rich man began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? In an agricultural society, the way you measured wealth was by the crops your land would produce. And he said, I've got so much excess, I don't know what to do with it. And then he said to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my current barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice the two things this farmer's money was going to provide him. First of all, security. I've got enough money stacked away, stashed away to take care of me for many years. I don't ever have to work again. 
And then he said, I can enjoy a life of luxury. Luxury, a luxurious life. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he was looking for. He thought money had provided both of those things, security and luxury. But there is one contingency this rich man had never planned for. Look at verse 21. As he was having this conversation with himself, God said to him, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? That word required in Greek is a banking term. It means to call in a loan. God said, you had made all of your plans for the future, but you forgot your life is just on loan to you and I can call in the loan anytime I want. You fool, tonight your soul is required of you and now who will own all that stuff you have packed into the barns? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Any security you think that money or your possessions will provide you is just an illusion. Look, money can never protect you from having a stranger steal the affections of your mate. It can never protect you from a car crash. It can never protect you from a metastasizing cancer cell. And it certainly can never protect you from death. Well, what should be our attitude if we're Christians about money and materialism? It's not exactly what you think. The Bible doesn't say money is evil. The love of money is evil, but money isn't evil. We need to keep uh, money in perspective according to God's word. Three admonitions the Bible gives us about money. Number one, appreciate money without worshiping it. I mean, the fact is, on one hand, it was money that caused the rich young ruler to turn away from Christ. It caused the rich fool in Luke 12 to think all was well with his soul. It was money that caused Judas to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It was money that caused Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Holy Spirit and be struck dead. But on the other hand, it was money that allowed Solomon's temple to be built and people to worship God. It was money that paid for the Last Supper. It was money that funded Paul's three missionary journeys to take the gospel everywhere. When I look at our own First Baptist Church and Pathway to Victory and all the ministries we have, none of them would have happened without money. Money is neither good nor evil. It's our attitude toward it. That's why Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, be on your guard against every kind of greed. Don't hate money, but be aware of the dangers of it. Secondly, the Bible says when it comes to money, we ought to save money without hoarding it. In Ecclesiastes 5.13, Solomon wrote, There is a grievous evil, which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. You know what hoarding is? It's just trying to stockpile money. Build as big of a pile of it as you can. You get to where you just do it for the sake of doing it, thinking that's where your security is. Don't hoard money, Solomon said. But the Bible says, do save money. In the Bible, you see admonitions to set aside, save money for four distinct purposes. For example, the Bible says we should save money to provide for our future needs. In Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 8, Solomon said, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which, even though it has no chief or officer or ruler, 
The ant prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. The ant doesn't have a big brain, (laughs) but even an ant realizes the food that's abundant right now may not always be available. Set aside some of the current, perhaps surplus that's there to prepare for a future need. You know, if I were to sum up the Bible's advice about how to be financially independent in your life and to handle your money, it would be Proverbs 21, 20. Solomon said, there is treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but the fool consumes it all. Or as the King James says, spendeth it up. (laughs) The fool is the person who spends everything he makes. The wise person who always keeps his spending below his income. Secondly, the Bible says we should Save to provide for our families. Save to provide for our families. Many of you know the term the sandwich generation because you're in the sandwich generation. You're finding that on one hand, your parents are living longer and they have certain needs the older they get. And you have children becoming adults who are hanging around the house longer than you anticipated as well. And they have certain needs. And you're caught between the two. That's just the reality of life. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for those of his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. God's, response, God's command is that we take care of our families. Thirdly, we set aside money saved to protect against adversity. For example, um, what would you do if your car broke down and you had... Uh, repair bill of thousands of dollars. What would happen? As many of you had happened this last year, you lost your job. Your employer told you you were no longer needed. What would you do in that kind of an emergency situation? You say, well, we would trust in God to provide for our needs. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. We ought to all trust in God. The question, how does God meet our needs during the time of adversity? It's by following his word. Genesis chapter 41, we'll look at it this summer more in detail, but remember the story? God told Pharaoh through Joseph that there were going to be seven years of famine in the land of Egypt, but before those seven years of famine, there would be seven years of plentiful harvest. And Joseph told Pharaoh, let's set aside 20% of the surplus. Let's store it up for the next seven years so that when the famine comes, we'll have grain to eat. And that's exactly what happened. They set aside 20% for the time of famine when their needs would be greater than their resources. That's God's plan for uh, uh, taking care of adversity in your life. Uh, I I was going to save this till Genesis 41, but you know, most every church I know spends everything that it has, just spends everything that it has every year. Income and expenses are always equal. You know, a few years ago, Ben said, I think, Pastor, we need to start setting aside some money for a future need. And we called it the boiler fund. You know, what would you do if the boiler in the church broke down? You didn't have the money to fix it. We're going to have a boiler fund. This was before the pandemic, before anybody had heard of a pandemic. But we started setting aside money and work with our finance committee and setting aside money for the future. And that money has been a tremendous help to us. 
And we're continuing to do that, to set aside some of our income every year to provide for future needs. That is God's way of providing for adversity. And then fourth, the Bible says, we should save some money to fund future ministry needs. We ought to set aside money to provide for the future. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul said, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Paul always said to Corinthians, hey, I'm coming to see you soon. Now I'm going to give you a hint. I'm going to ask for some money. There's a special ministry need. You need to start saving for it right now so that when that need comes, you'll have something to give. Now, I promise I'm not giving you a warning of some future need. That's not why I'm mentioning this. But the fact is, as I look back on our church, none of what we see right now this new worship center, the new campus, the Horner family expansion, $135 million, $35 million, the Criswell Center, $50 million. None of that would have happened had it not been for people just like you who didn't spend everything they had. You set aside money, you accumulated money and were willing to give out of that treasure when God presented a need. That's how the temple was built in 1 Chronicles 29. David gave out of his treasure, the accumulated treasures. And when the people saw what he had done, they became motivated to give not out of their income, but out of their treasures. That's God's plan for financing his work. Well, what are the principles about money? Thirdly, use money without trusting it. Use it without trusting it. In Proverbs 10, 15, Solomon says the rich man's wealth is his fortress. But then he added a balancing word in chapter 18, verse 11. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. Yes, money can protect you against some things, but there are other things it can never protect you against. That's the balancing. Use money, set it aside, but don't put your ultimate trust in it whatsoever. How do you conquer the mountain of materialism? If you've built your life around money and what it purchases, how do you conquer that desire? There's a legendary story. Somebody asked the oil billionaire John D. Rockefeller, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? His classic reply just a little bit more. How do you fulfill that insatiable desire for more? In a word, contentment. Contentment. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says in verse 6, for godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. I looked up that Greek word contentment this week. Atarkeia, atarkeia. It's a word that was used by the Stoics. It literally means self-sufficient. To be content means to be self-sufficient. It means you don't hang your happiness on external circumstances. You look inwardly to find your sense of enough, satisfaction. Now, Paul Christianized that word in the passage that we looked at, Philippians 4, verse 11 for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. 
I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. And in and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, yes, we Christians have to look inwardly, not to ourselves, but to our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the secret to contentment. But notice he says, I learned how to be content. This contentment isn't a natural part of our DNA. We're not born with it. Even as Christians, we have to learn how to conquer that desire for more by being content. What are the secrets to learning contentment? Let me mention in closing today, three secrets for contentment that come straight from this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. First of all, contentment comes when we learn to thank God for what we already have. Greed and gratitude cannot exist in the same heart. Did you know that? You're either searching for more or you're grateful for what you have. And Paul said in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 6, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. How many times do you really sincerely thank God for the meal that is before you? I don't mean the ritual of saying grace. I mean, how many times are you grateful for the fact that you don't have to worry about your next meal? Before you go to sleep at night, how many of you really thank God for the covering over your head, the fact that you're sleeping indoors and not outdoors. When you get up tomorrow morning and pull yourself out of bed to go to work, do you find yourself thanking God for that job you have an opportunity to go to that in turn earns the income to provide for yourself and your family? Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 Moses said, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to make wealth, to make money. God's the one who gives you a job. He's the one who gives you the breath of life in order to function at that job. Again, it is impossible for gratitude and discontent to reside in the same heart. Thank God for what you already have. Secondly, contentment comes from recognizing the dangers of materialism. I wish I had time to talk about this, but notice the dangers of materialism. Paul mentions in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, those who want to get rich, those who are thirsting for more, fall into temptation and a snare. The first danger of desiring more is you can fall into a snare. The Greek word here means a trap that has been baited for an animal. When you want to get rich, you have that insatiable desire, you become easy prey for people who would take your money from you, for get-rich-quick schemes. Be careful. You can fall into a snare. Not only that, you can fall into foolish and harmful desires. I know people who've come into a lot of money, and they've just been foolish in what they've done with it. Join country clubs and golf lessons and vacations, and pretty soon they were completely out of money once again. Not only foolish desires, but harmful desires. Other people have allowed money to give them too much independence, and they've fallen into illicit relationships and lost their marriages and families. And then he talks about eventually materialism can plunge you into ruin and destruction. 
Here he's talking about apostasy, falling away from God. You see that in the next verse. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. Finally, how do you learn contentment? Contentment comes from remembering how temporary our possessions are. In verse 7 of 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, remember, you have brought nothing into this world and you will take nothing out of it either. Translation, you came into this world empty-handed, not with a thing. And guess what? You're going to leave this world in the very same way. John Stott says, possessions are only the traveling luggage of time. One day, you're going to set that luggage down. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, not ever. Doesn't happen. You leave it all behind. You remember that story I told you about the 377 passengers aboard the Royal Charter ship, how all of them except for 40 lost their lives, many of them because they refused to take off their clothing that was weighted down by gold that had been sewn into it. You know what the ultimate irony is? Just a few moments after they made that decision not to take off their clothing, not to separate themselves from their riches, a few moments after they made that disastrous decision, they perished and they were immediately separated from all of their possessions. That's what death is. It is a separation from everything. The word thanatos, death, means to separate Death is the separation of our spirit from our body, but it's also the separation of us from everything that we own. And that's why the ultimate misuse of your life is to spend it pursuing things that you're going to ultimately leave behind. Or as God said to the fool, you fool, tonight, your soul is required of you and who will own what you have accumulated. So is the man who is storing up riches for himself, but is not rich toward God. My prayer is that today's study in Philippians chapter 4 has helped you understand the root of your discontentment. Accumulating wealth, growing a big fat savings account, those things may have their place in life, but in the end, money doesn't generate contentment, nor can you take it with you. Well, earlier I alluded to a book I've written for you called Invincible. It includes an in-depth chapter on the topic we address today and nine other subjects as well. God wants to put his arm around your shoulder and walk alongside you in this journey of life so that when you come across a mountain or a barrier like materialism, he can help you conquer that obstacle. But you need to take your first steps. And so I hope you'll reach out today and request a copy of my book, Invincible. It will likely become the most transformative book you'll read this year. In a moment, David will share with you several different ways to get in touch with us. A hardbound copy of Invincible is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. 
Plus, I've set aside an exclusive DVD and CD for you as well. This features a message I recently delivered as the keynote speaker at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Many of the attendees you would readily recognize. I chose to speak to them about preparing for coming persecution of Christian believers right here in America. I titled my message, When Persecution Comes. I want you to see and hear this message because I believe it will help you get ready for what's in store for those who stand up for Jesus Christ. Now, here's David with all the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll send you a hardbound copy of the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress, Invincible, Conquering the Mountains That Separate You from the Blessed Life. In addition to the book, we'll also send you the brand new CD and DVD message called When Persecution Comes, the same persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are experiencing is coming to America. In fact, many believe it's already here. This timely message by Dr. Jeffress will help you prepare for the coming persecution of Christians. Call 866-999-2965 or make your request online at ptv.org. Now, when you give $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete collection of audio and video discs for this month's teaching series, Invincible. You'll get that along with the personal and group study guide. One more time, our phone number, 866-999-2965, or go to ptv.org. If you'd like to send your request by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. You know, loneliness is a mountain that all of us face, whether or not we want to admit it. It can make us feel isolated and forgotten, even in a room full of people. So join us next time when Dr. Jeffress shares the cause of and the cure for loneliness, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.